Welcome to the Faith Connections Podcast, a partnership between the Foundry Publishing, Nazarene Discipleship International, and Holiness Today. Welcome to our study this week of Mark chapter 15, verse 42, through chapter 16, verse 8. My name is Scott Rainey. I serve with the Church of the Nazarene in the area of Nazarene Discipleship International, or NDI. This adult Sunday school video lesson is provided in collaboration between the Foundry Publishing and NDI. The Sunday school lesson is intended to support the local church's efforts to make disciples who make disciples. Please feel free to use this video in any way that helps your church or its families. I am confident today that each of us has experienced something that we would consider life-changing. You might take just a minute as we start this lesson to make your list of life-changing moments in your life. Here is my list. The day I repented of my sins, put my trust in Jesus, and started to follow him. The day I surrendered all my life to God, was filled with his spirit and sanctified entirely. The day I God called me into ministry. The day I met, married Jennifer Hobnegger. The two days Jenny delivered our two daughters, Becca and Sarah. And finally, the day my wife and I knew that God had called us to serve as missionaries in the country of Ukraine. These were all life-changing days in my life. In today's lesson, we recall the most life-changing event in the history of the world. If we had never heard the gospel story, we might wonder what more could be said after the death of Jesus on the cross. Jesus had breathed his last and with a loud cry. The temple curtain had been torn from top to bottom and an astonished Roman centurion declared, surely this man was the son of God. Last week, we looked at the power of the cross. But I have really good news for us today. The story of God does not end with the cross on Good Friday. This week, we will look at the power of the resurrection. Let's start by reading in Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 42, and we'll read through Mark chapter 16, verse 8. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Jewish ruling council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, 
just after sunrise. They were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus of Naz the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Mark began by observing that the day of the crucifixion and burial of Jesus was preparation day, according to Mark 15, verse 42. In order to keep the Sabbath properly, Jews needed to plan and prepare for the day. So preparation day was the day before the Sabbath, or Friday. We would expect that a person recently deceased would be buried by a family member and friends. Following the execution of John the Baptist, for example, Mark chapter 6, verse 29 records, On hearing this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. In the case of Jesus, however, his disciples and his family had deserted him as he went to the cross. Mark chapter 15, verse 42, 43 records the unexpected. A man named Joseph of Arimathea, whose name appears here for the first time in Mark, asked for Jesus' body in order to bury him in Joseph's own tomb. Who is this Joseph of Arimathea? It is believed that Arimathea was a small town to the northwest of Jerusalem. Matthew refers to Joseph of Arimathea as a rich man who had become a disciple of Jesus, according to Matthew chapter 27, verse 57. John refers to him as a secret follower of Jesus, John chapter 19, verse 38. Mark said that Joseph was a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, Mark chapter 15, verse 43. The council here refers to the Jewish Sanhedrin, who had charged Jesus with blasphemy and had condemned him to death in Mark 14, verse 64. As a member of the Sanhedrin, Joseph would have had the opportunity to vote to impose the death penalty on Jesus. Luke makes clear that he was not supportive of the council's decision. Luke chapter 23 Verse 50 and 51 say, Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. It was particularly urgent that Jesus' corpse be buried because the following day was the Sabbath, which started at sunset on Friday. Since Jesus died at 3 p.m., 
Joseph only had around three hours to accomplish his task. So Mark tells us that Joseph went boldly, verse 30, 43, where once he had been a secret follower of Jesus, now after the death of Jesus, Joseph is obviously acting more boldly. Romans would have denied an honorable burial for a crucified revolutionary. Pilate would have likely denied Jesus' family or disciples from getting his body. But since Joseph was a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, Pilate seems inclined to listen to it. According to Mark chapter 15, verse 44, Pilate was surprised that Jesus had died so soon. Death by crucifixion often stretched out over several days as the victim would slowly deteriorate, dehydrate, and bleed to death on the cross. Roman crucifixion served as a warning and deterrent against other potential rebels against the state. The extended time on the cross was beneficial for their purposes. The severe flogging, however, of Jesus before his crucifixion may have hastened his death. Jewish custom required burial before sunset to prevent pollution of the land. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 22 and 23 say this, if someone is guilty of a capital offense, is put to death and their body is exposed on a pole, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury it that same day because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Jesus' crucifixion began at 9 a.m. and the body was dead by 3 p.m. on the same day. Joseph wanted to bring Jesus' body down from the cross for burial before the sun went down on the same day. The Gospel of Mark shares the burial of Jesus with simple and unembellished details that underscore the certainty of his death. It was important for Mark, of course, that his readers knew Jesus had died. A death was necessary for there to be a true resurrection. To emphasize the death of Jesus, Mark records that Pilate heard of the news of Jesus' death, a centurion confirmed the death of Jesus, Joseph purchased some linen cloth for burial and took possession of the body of Jesus, Joseph transported the dead body of Jesus to the tomb. The tomb was enclosed with a large stone. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, or Joseph, watched the events and knew exactly where Jesus was laid. The women followers of Jesus played a surprisingly prominent role in the end of Mark's gospel. These women unlike the male disciples, risked it all to stay with Jesus until the end. We will come back to the women in a moment. At this point, it's important for us to understand that they saw where Jesus' body was laid. There was no possibility of the women coming to the wrong tomb and finding the wrong tomb empty. Mark chapter 15 ends at sunset on Friday. Mark 16 begins at sunrise on Sunday. 
When the Sabbath ended at sunset on Saturday evening, the shops would have opened and the women would have been able to purchase the needed ointments to anoint Jesus' body. They waited to go to the tomb until Sunday morning, the third day. Three women are mentioned now, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, according to Mark chapter 16, verse 1. As they walked to the tomb of Jesus, the thoughts of these women were occupied with the dilemma of removing the stone that blocked the entrance of the tomb. To seal a tomb, a flat rounded stone was placed in a sloping channel dug at the base of the entrance. The stone could easily be rolled down the slope across the entrance, but would require several people to remove the stone. Even though Jesus had reportedly uh, said that, had repeatedly said that he would die and be raised again on the third day, Mark chapter 8, verse 31, chapter 9, verse 31, and chapter 10, verse 34, this explanation was nowhere in their thoughts. Instead, they worried about the stone that sealed the grave. Jesus, just a side note here, as, as often happens, the things people worry about rarely materialize. Let's not miss this. These women were worried about the stone while Jesus was doing something that they never could have imagined. What causes concern for you today? Can you rest knowing that God is working even when you don't see it? When they arrived at the tomb, the very large stone had already been rolled away, according to Mark chapter 16, verse 4. The verb used in the Greek is a passive verb with no indication of a subject doing the action. Many scholars refer to this as the divine passive tense of the verb, meaning that God is the one who did the action. God had removed the stone. The drama intensifies in Mark's gospel as the women enter the tomb. They decide, they notice two things. Jesus is not there, but someone else is. They see a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, verse 5. The description indicates that this was an angel. Angels are depicted as wearing white robes. Matthew chapter 28, verse 3 describes the same scene this way. It says, the angel of the Lord's appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The fact that the young man is on the right side is significant as well. Seated on the right is a place of authority, just as Jesus is said to be on the right side of God's throne. The women are understandably alarmed. The angel does what visible angels often do in scripture. They speak words of peace. Do not be afraid. The angel makes it clear in Mark chapter 16, verse 6, that the women have not gone to the wrong tomb. This is the place where they had laid Jesus, but he's not here. He has risen. A more literal translation of the Greek verb used here is he has been raised. Once again, we have the divine passive voice, a passive verb with a, without an object doing the action, 
God is the one who has raised Jesus. The women had not been expecting any of this. They had gone to great lengths to come to the tomb to do the anointing of Jesus' body. Now they encounter the totally unexpected. It would be really interesting to learn of the many ways God has surprised each of us in our lifetime. As we come to the end of our passage for today, the end of our series on four world-changing days, and the end of the Gospel of Mark, for that matter, I want to mention a number of things. First, Greek philosophy had no problem in envisioning survival of the soul. In some Greek thought, the body was not worth saving. It was the soul, and only the soul, that counted. Mark's gospel and the subsequent Christian affirmation has decisively made the claim that the very physical body of Jesus was resurrected from the grave. Our physicality is significant in God's design in the present. In other words, our body is not evil or worthless. Instead, it is what is inside the person that makes someone evil. The opposite is also true. It is Christ living in you that makes you holy and your body and its actions will show what or who is in you. Your whole spirit, soul, and body can be blameless, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. There's also a wonderful promise here for the future as well. Jesus is the firstborn among the dead. He has conquered death. So those who put their trust in him will also be raised from the dead, like Jesus. Speaking of the next great event in the world for believers to look forward to, Paul reminds us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. There was a physical resurrection of our Lord to live forever. And there will be a physical resurrection of those who die in Christ to live forever with him. Next, these three women two Marys and Salome, became the first eyewitnesses of the foundational Christian belief that Jesus died, was buried, and was raised. Scholars note that the testimony of women was not highly valued in the Jewish culture of Jesus' day. Mark's report of women as prime witnesses of Jesus' resurrection oddly attests to the reliability of his account. He would never have told it this way if it was a lie. This also speaks volumes about life in God's kingdom. Male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile means nothing for the Christian community. The world might divide one another on such terms. Not so the kingdom of God. We are all level and we are all called to be one at the foot of the cross. Let's not let the world and culture 
divide Christ's church. Third, the key verbs of Mark 16, verses 6 and 7 are see, go, and tell. See the place where they laid him, go, tell his disciples and Peter. These same verbs continue to describe our spiritual lives and calling today. We are called, you see, to experience or see the transforming power of Jesus. Then we're called to go into all the world. Finally, we're called to share or tell the good news of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Fourth, please note that in Mark chapter 16, verse 7, the angel said, tell his disciples and Peter. Let's pause and ask the obvious question. Why did the angel single out Peter? Remember that Peter, in the heat of the moment surrounding Jesus' crucifixion, had just said three times that he never met Jesus. Peter had disowned the Savior of the world who was dying for him. Isn't this beautiful that the angel said, and Peter, change out your name for Peter's name. Peter, in the midst of your sin, Jesus loves you. He's calling for you. He wants you to come back to him. What hope for all of us. Finally, every modern translation of Mark states that some ancient manuscripts of the second gospel end with Mark chapter 16, verse 8, while many other manuscripts contain verses 9 through 20. While I don't have time to go into the textual details here, let me share just a few basic truths about scholarship today. The oldest, most reliable manuscripts we have of the Greek New Testament end with Mark chapter 16, verse 8. In addition, the earliest evidence from early Christian leaders like Origen, Jerome, and Eusebius all lean toward the affirmation that Mark 16 ends at verse 8. Most scholars today point out that careful study suggests that the author of the longer ending has picked up bits and pieces of the endings of Matthew and Luke and created what was hoped would be a plausible ending to the second gospel. Though we have many more manuscripts with the longer ending than with the shorter ending of Mark 16, manuscript scholars are almost unanimous that the superior manuscripts do not have verses 9 through 20 in them. So what does that mean for us today? Why would Mark have ended his gospel account with verse 8 that reads, the women said nothing to anyone because they were afraid? It would be a fun discussion to have, but let me close with mentioning one idea. It is possible that Mark intentionally ended with they were afraid in order to create an unresolved conflict. Here is what the women did with what they saw. Will you do with what will you do with the resurrection of Jesus? What will you do, listener of this video, with what you have seen? Will you obey? Will you go? And will you tell somebody what God has done in Christ Jesus? 
It's not too late. This is a great time of year to tell someone that Jesus is not in the grave. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Thank you for listening to the Faith Connections podcast. If you wish to order Faith Connection materials for your local church, please visit thefoundrypublishing.com. If you've enjoyed this production and wish to hear more, visit holinesstoday.org slash podcast or find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts.